Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When Christians first hear that it is by grace alone that we are saved, through faith alone, there is almost always the same reaction. Since salvation has nothing to do at all with our own actions or our own desires, then am I not free to do whatever I want? To believe that grace alone saves through faith alone, does that not then take the matter totally out of the hands of the sinner? And with salvation thus freely given, does that not open the sinner up to more sinful behavior? And will that then not cheapen God's grace? All accountability is taken away when such freedom is proclaimed. And this then has been the argument and the criticism thrown back at genuine Lutherans from the very beginning of the understanding of this gospel. And so if you proclaim the true gospel, as Paul himself says it in today's epistle text, nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, then you run the risk of losing control of the Christian. Throughout the last five centuries, there have been plenty of theologians and plenty of Christians alike who have accused Martin Luther and his words of not teaching what we call the third use of the law. Third use of the law is that of its purpose as a ruler or a guide for us. In its right understanding, it is strictly for the regenerated Christian and the life lived in the light of the gospel, free from the burden of keeping God's law for our salvation. And so the third use of the law then shows the Christian what life now looks like as exactly that, a Christian. And so Luther certainly did well teach the third use of the law. And to accuse him otherwise is to mistakenly overlook his serious teachings in many contexts regarding the law of God and its many uses. For the Christian to live life in opposition to the law of God would be something again called antinomianism. Such a life lived free from the influence of the rest of God's Word flows from a serious misunderstanding of Jesus' own beloved teaching. We heard that teaching in this morning's Gospel text. It's a portion of Matthew's Gospel that falls within the greater context of the Sermon on the Mount. It follows immediately after the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are those statements of blessing, rightly understood statements of gospel, of grace from Jesus to His hearers. For in those words, Jesus describes the very state, the very identity of sinners who believe 
that that is who they are as sinners and thus desire salvation from God alone. The statements of blessing announce that salvation that they desire to those who are contrite, to those who are repentant. Now, following those words of introduction of Jesus' sermon, he then says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Those Christians who live as though the law of God is no longer important or relevant, or that they can sin with reckless abandon and no guilty conscience, they are those who believe that Jesus has abolished the law. But no doubt, all of us have done such a thing from time to time, taken advantage of that freedom. But such thinking and such behavior deserves our repentance. For God did not give His law so that He could one day destroy it and take it all away. Just as God did not give life so that He could then undo it and destroy it in death. So what does it mean, as Jesus says, for him to fulfill the law? It means that Jesus came into this world to show all people what a life according to God's commands, according to His will, actually looks like. Not as an example for us to seek after, to try hard, to follow each and every day, but indeed as the beautiful life that God intended yours and mine to be from the very beginning. And as I said in our children's message this morning, you know and I know that the lives we get to live right now are not what they are supposed to be, not in their fulfillment. This world itself is not the way God originally made it to be. It is broken. It's corrupted. It is evil. You see it in your own lives, the hurt of yourself and others. You know the pain of the death of a loved one and those who are near to you. You know the hurt that you feel when family members continue on in sinfulness, in unbelief, and rejection of the gospel. Jesus lived the life that God wanted us all to enjoy. He kept all of God's commandments perfectly. He fulfilled all of God's promises made throughout history, and by doing so, the Lord Jesus Himself has created a new reality, a new identity for us, one that is no longer bound to the law, but free to live according to it, as God intended. And rightly understood, and needs to be rightly taught, the law of God is not bad. It is not evil, but it is very, very good. It is the blueprint for all of God's creation, how everything is supposed to be in this world. And for all of eternity, when that last day finally does come, as Jesus returns in glory, we will live forever in perfect harmony with God's law. It will guide us in all that we do, And we will never stray again from it. But for now, we continue on 
in a law-gospel cycle. The law does its work of condemnation against us as sinners, showing us in its second use our mirror image, our failures, and our rejections of God's Word. The gospel then breaks in and proclaims the forgiveness that God has for us in Jesus by His death on the cross and that we have been set free from sin. And so we are free to keep those commands of God, His instruction for us, live according to His Word. Only we continue to fail in doing so because we remain sinners in this life. The law again then serves as our mirror, leading us back to our need for the gospel. And on and on the cycle goes through our lives. And that cycle of our saint and sinner lives will continue until the Lord Jesus does finally bust it all apart once and for all. And His death, His resurrection for us, that has guaranteed it will one day take place. But until then, we continue on in that loop, trusting in Christ's mercy for the forgiveness of our sins. And in the meantime, you continue to rejoice, for you are God's people, set apart for His purposes. You have been made so in the simple means of grace given in holy baptism, for that seal of Christ's cross was placed upon you, seen by God the Father forevermore. And it is then what we sing as the people of God in our hymn of praise we've done already, worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain, whose blood sets us free to be people of God. And as the people of God, you boldly confess your sins before God, trusting in His forgiveness down on your knees, knowing that He will grant you grace. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And then you offer up the words of those redeemed by Christ. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And this is what it means to be the salt of the earth. As our Lord Jesus himself says, the light of the world. This broken and this sinful world, it will never see the perfection it once had in creation at the beginning. Not until our Lord Jesus returns on the last day and brings forth the judgment of fire. And yet, you and I are called here and now to salt this earth, to give it light. Imagine how awful this world would be without the gospel. Think of how terrible this life would be for each and every one of us without ever hearing of the grace of Jesus and the promise of eternal life. And consider what the state of this world would be without God's people in it, without you, His Christians. A world without salt, without its power to preserve and protect. A world without light and its power to banish the darkness and keep it at bay. You are set free 
to be the people of God in this place. You are free.